Universalism, what it teaches and why it's wrong, that up ahead. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about the work that we're doing to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In Romans 5.18, speaking of Adam and his sin, we read, As one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, this referring to Jesus' sacrifice for our sins on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. The Universalist uses this verse and ones like it to prove from Scripture why they believe that in the end everyone is going to be saved. And today we're going to begin to show why this notion does not square with the Word of God. Paul has introduced to us in this section that we're looking at the idea that Adam is a negative type of all that Jesus Christ is in positive fulfillment. Adam is the type negatively, and Jesus is the antitype, the fulfillment, the completion in the positive. And he's also introduced to us an idea of two humanities that are forming around these two individuals. There are those who are still in Adam and under the domain of the fallout of a sin, and there are those who through faith have been placed in Jesus Christ, and as a result are the recipients of an outpoured grace and benefits that come from his great obedience in which he came to earth lived a perfect and sinless life, and then in obedience offered up his righteous life on our behalf as a sacrifice for our sins. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin, perfect in every way, obedient in every way, became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This wonderful truth that is ours that we receive when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We've recognized the vast impact of Adam's sin touching every human after that time. Every human that is born, in a sense, comes into the world born under the sin of Adam and under the fall of Adam. And there has been a universally negative impact that has gone out from Adam's sin. Now, Christ is paralleled in this passage to Adam. And as a result, he's provided, our passage says, a universally positive impact that's come. We read that here. Through one man's offense, death came to all men. Focus on that. Think of all individuals, every person, every human being, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness, a righteous act, the free gift came to all men, all people, resulting in justification of life. Now, there's some problems, some ends of the strings that we've been talking about that we need to address that come from this passage And one of them is this. Individuals who take this juxtaposition of Adam and the universal impact of his sin upon all human beings and then putting Christ next to him and the universal impact of his death, they've put these together and they've come to a conclusion that ultimately what is being taught here by Paul and what the New Testament is teaching is that there will one day be a universal salvation for all people. That's how they read it. They basically reason if Adam's sin meant a universal fall for all humanity... And this is attested to in the passage we've just read. And there are other passages that speak to this. Verse 15 speaks to this with particular force. Then, as a result, it must mean that Jesus Christ must provide a universal salvation that eventually will be experienced by all people. As a result, there have been a number of books that have been written on this kind of topic. And they've become, of late, increasingly popular again. Even popular in what we would consider to be the evangelical community. Just this 
Last year, the board of our ministry in Canada had to dismiss one of our board members because he's come to the conclusion that everyone will be universally saved. As a result, among other things, it's not so essential that we go out and share the gospel with them now. It's like it would be good, but if we don't and we miss it and we don't go to reach individuals, it's going to work out for them in the end, in the long run. And so, well, with that view, we, we consider that to be kind of heretical. We, that doesn't, well, that is heretical. It doesn't match with what the scripture teaches. And so we had to dismiss them from our board. This idea, by the way, that everyone will eventually get to heaven is theologically called universalism. I thought that the title of our sermon could be, Why I Don't Believe in Universalism. We're going to address three questions, and the first question is, is this true? Is that what the Bible is teaching, and is that what this passage is teaching? That's the first question we're going to answer. And the first thing I want to do is I want to concede, in a sense, a point. The person who sees a universalism expressed in this passage, I want to concede an observation that they're making. They're seeing that what is said in verse 18 which says that sin brought condemnation to all people, and that one righteous act brought justification to all people, they're seeing that these two things have to mean the same thing. There's a consistency. And it is kind of what we'd call an interpretive rule. And the rule is that when you have two words that are being used in the same passage, and they are either used to compare or to contrast, those two words have to basically essentially mean the exact same thing. They have to be addressing the same thing. And so the all in Adam has to be similar to or be accorded to the same meaning as the all in Jesus Christ. Or I should say the all in Jesus Christ has to be given the same force and the same meaning as the all in Adam. And that's what they're seeing. And so if, if there is a universal fall that comes upon all men in Adam, there has to be a universal, this is their thinking, a universal salvation that comes to all under Jesus Christ. And again, there's something consistent with this. Actually, in verse 19, the term changes from all to many. So if you're looking at your Bible, see here, it says many. Through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And that many is just modifying again that all men. In other words, think of many as all again. It's a quantitative expression of all people, right? And actually, go to verse 12. And you'll see this same idea. In verse 12, it says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, sounds very similar to something we read in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a universal statement. And so again, you have this all, meaning a quantitative expression of all people. In this case, there's a universality to it. And in verse 18, you have the phrase all men, and in verse 19, you have the phrase many, and they correspond to one another. In verse 12, you have this expression, all have sinned. And then in verses 13 and 14, you'll see in your Bible, most of your Bibles, it's bracketed because this is kind of like an aside. And verse 15 now is modifying what is said in verse 12. And here's what we read in verse 15. Verse 15 says this, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, now the many is again modifying the all, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. These have to be the same meaning. They're applied from one to the other. And so the universalist reads that and says, well, this obviously teaches that there's a universal salvation. They might add other Bible verses, but this is one of their favorite verses. They might add another one. It's one that sounds very similar to this. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. We read it in our scripture reading this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, we read this. 
For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Yeah, there it is. Universalism. Everybody's going to be saved. That's how they read it. And so how are we going to address this? Well, the first is we have to follow rules of interpretation. And we'll start with this one rule. Scripture must interpret Scripture. We must take the broader teaching of all Scripture and we must bring it to bear upon singular verses and portions of Scripture that we're reading. Another rule might be this, that we not only consider the broader meaning of Scripture, but we have to consider the context of the argument that Paul is making. In other words, Paul gets to explain what Paul is saying. And Paul is explaining it in other things that he said earlier in the passage. And then we have to study it within its immediate context and see if whether this is actually what Paul is saying directly in the immediate context of these passages, Romans chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to try to answer this question. Is that what it means? And we're going to apply those scriptural rules. And so let's look at this first rule. The first rule is this, the broader teaching of scripture. In this case, let's look at the broader teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles who are writing the New Testament are essentially giving commentary to everything that the Lord Jesus has taught them. They're expressing and teaching others, and that's what Paul is doing as well. So let's look at the broader things that the Lord Jesus has said and taught and put that to bear upon this idea of universalism. Let's start with Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Here, we're seeing this same rule where when you have a word being used two times, in contrast or comparison, the word basically has to have the exact same meaning. And there in Matthew 25, verse 46, Jesus says this, And these, speaking of those who are going to come before him and two separate outcomes for those who come before him on the final day of judgment, he says, and these, now he's speaking of those who are unsaved, will go away or depart into everlasting punishment. And the word everlasting there is the word in Greek, ionios. But the righteous into eternal life. And eternal there is the word ionios. And so you have here a statement that there are those who go into conscious, unending life in the presence of Jesus Christ. Constant, unending blessing, eternal, ionios life. And what it means is that those who go into everlasting punishment are going into unending, conscious destruction or punishment. The word has to mean the same thing. And do you see there that if you apply that, it doesn't comport with the conclusion that the Universalist is trying to force on Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 in that whole passage. Again, let's remember that the Lord Jesus, when speaking of hell, spoke of it as a place of everlasting fire, a place of unquenchable and unending fire where the engines of its destruction never ceased. And in relation to this very passage where we looked at here, we see many that are going away in destruction, Let's also add another passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. Remember in verse 25 it says, They will be sent away or go away or depart into everlasting or ionios destruction. And here in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, the Lord Jesus touches upon at least some of those that will be sent away or go away. He says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Go away. He's sending them away who practice lawlessness. Many will go from the judgment seat of Christ to depart to a place of unending, 
punishment and destruction. That goes along with that idea that these will go away into everlasting punishment that we read in Matthew 25. Actually, for myself, the verses that seem to me the most convincing that the Lord Jesus in no way taught universalism are those passages of Scripture where the Lord Jesus gives warning to the outcome of sins, dire warning to the outcome of sins. He says if an individual were to cause a little child to stumble, that it would be better that a millstone be cast around his neck and be thrown into the depth of the sea. But if ultimately he's going to go to heaven, not that big a problem. It'll work out, right? He says things like, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And if your hand offends you, cut it off because it's better to go into heaven maimed than to go into hell with a whole body. Well, not really. Because if ultimately you're saved, you're going to go to the place referred to in Revelation chapter 22 where there's a river that flows to the eternal city of God that's waters are for the healing of the nations. The eye, guy will get his eye back. He'll get his hand back. So no matter what he has to go through, whatever suffering he's facing, Jesus is exaggerating. If there's not ultimately an eternal hell that people go to. Actually, the Lord Jesus said of Judas, who was to betray Christ, that it would have been better if he had never been born. Well, not if after all of it, eventually he's going to be saved and go to heaven. Not better that he'd never been born, no matter what he goes through. And Jesus also spoke of those who could be forgiven of any sin except for the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He says that individual will never be forgiven. And can you imagine that heaven might have within it anyone? Has anything that's not been washed and cleansed and forgiven? No. It's, it's clear from Jesus' own teaching that it's impossible for us to come to these passages and believe in universalism. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.